I was not the best at coming out. You know what I'm saying? I definitely stumbled over myself and did not do it well. And, you know, my mother, who was sort of the single parent version of Claire Huxtable, was not the easiest person to come out to. But I think the thing about it is I, in writing it, um, I learned so much about that process. And, and I, I really enjoyed writing it because that's how I was able to find humor in it. Our most trying life experiences can often serve as inspiration for award-winning storytelling. Writer and actor Lena Waithe transformed her real-life experiences into an Emmy award-winning episode of the Netflix comedy series Master of None. Here, Lena is joined by podcast hosts Maeve Higgins and Nora McInerney in a conversation about the creative process and how to use comedy to tell painful personal stories. I'm Sarah Gonzalez, and this is Work It, the podcast, a selection of talks from the Work It Festival for Women in Audio. There was a normal-sized person in this chair before me. Like, oh, sorry. What up? Sorry, world. Hi. Um, okay, is everyone else just having the best couple days of recent memory? Oh, me too. Me too. It's just like no dudes. I didn't even get to play my favorite game here, which is just walking in a straight there's line. A dude, there's towards, a dude right here. There's a ah. dude. Okay, well, then you. later I'm going to play this game with him where like I no walk at all. towards him and see who will move, and I don't move. A lesbian conference. That's great. Has anyone else played that? Thanks, They'll just bro. walk right into you. It's amazing. Um, okay, also, I Thank love you, that man. this is so like, I'm from Minnesota, and like there's. This is very, like, Lutheran of you, that there's so many spaces between people. (laughs) And, like, the front is empty. It's just like, okay. Um, We're not talking about Lutheran church. Yay! Uh, Yes! (laughs) Beautiful front row. Yeah. And one more. Um, My sisters. Okay, so we're not here to talk about Lutheran church, unfortunately. Okay, I'm Nora McNerney. (laughs) I'm glad this is written on a sheet of paper for me. I have a podcast called Terrible. Thanks for asking. Um, it's about talking to people about the worst uh, things that have happened to them. And so then I have to explain hmm. to people that it's not totally a bummer and that there also are um, lighthearted parts of it, too. And so I'm talking with two women who I think uh, fall into that same category of working with hard things in humorous ways. First, Maeve Higgins, raise your hand if you're Maeve Higgins. Hi. <laughs> Maeve Higgins, uh, the host of the podcast Maeve in America. Yeah. Um, she has a podcast where she tells beautiful and funny stories about immigration, which... Dope. Yeah. Um, And we are also very lucky to have writer, producer, and actress, Lena Waith. What up? Hi. I feel bad. I don't got a podcast. You don't have a podcast, which is why we brought you here today to see if we could get you to start one. Maybe. Oh, the um, sisters over here, they're like, that would be dope, girl, yes. Well, natural hair amazing. and edges and all that kind of stuff. This could be your first podcast. This could be the first. I'm here. We, we here. brought all these people here to convince you to make a podcast. Fantastic. <laughs> Let's do it. Because I need yeah. another thing to add to my to-do list. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we're going to talk about how the funny and the serious go hand in hand, and we're yeah. going to just... Um, jump right in. I've had a couple conversations with women uh, at this conference and also throughout my life who have a hard time um, seeing the value in their own story, or if they do um, see the value in their own story, getting over the fear that 
they're going to be opening themselves and their story to criticism mm-hmm. um, or even just to people who will be like, why do you think you're so special that you can do this? Did, any, did either of you face it or how do you get over that, that sense of fear that maybe you're not the person, you're not special enough to make something? It's definitely or not been you an tell issue in my life. Um, mm-hmm. uh, no, I mean, I guess, I don't know. I mean, I think I've always sort of been fearless and always vulnerable, you know, as an artist. I kind of have to leave my blood and guts on the page. Or otherwise, what is the point of someone coming to witness it? Um, if, we, if not to write something that makes you a little uncomfortable, if I'm not making you squirm in your seat, then I'm not doing my job. You know, you should be squirming and laughing and being emotional and I want to take you on a ride. So for me, it's like I've never maybe prescribed to that thing of, oh, I'm a girl and this or I shouldn't do that. I just sort of always been very um, just open and like honest. And, and I think because that's what art is supposed to do. You know, I think of myself as a, a descendant from like James Baldwin and sort of like if he sort of ever held back at all or, or was reserved, then I wouldn't be sitting here because his work sort of like spoke to me and, 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 and because he was so proud of who he was, it made me to say, oh, well, I can be, I should, I'm proud of who I am. And so that's where I think all that sort of comes from. And then coming from a sort of very matriarchal family where all these black women were like, this is who we are, you know, complex and layered and all these things. And so I learned how to be a black woman from them and they never held back at all. And so I think that's why I've always sort of just been like, here I am, we here, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I come from like a stand-up comedy background and like I started doing stand-up and it's still pretty, it's still like male dominated. And I definitely saw like a lot of guys who were like not afraid to <laughs> share what they thought and mm-hmm. share their experience and they're just they don't question it for a second. Like they're like, this is what you know, this is me. Um and so uh I definitely had to push myself a bit more to do that. Um but now my podcast is like a platform for other people's stories. Mm. So I have a little bit of hesitation there sometimes because I'm like, this is someone else's, like I'm shifting out of the way now and like this is someone else's story. Um, so I need to be careful with that, you know? Mm-hmm. So Lena Beckstage, you said that you do believe in the phrase that everything is copy. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us more about that? Well, I do. You know, I, I saw we were talking about Nora Ephron, and, and that's where, sort of where we were talking about that from. And I saw that documentary. I've actually watched that documentary a ton. Um, I think it's because I'm a fan of Nora. Obviously, I love when Harry met Sally. I think that that the dialogue feels like music, and it's very rhythmic and all these things. Mm-hmm. But I was sort of just fascinated by her story and, and where she comes from and her relationship with her sisters and how it all sort of bleeds into her work. And if you think about it, I mean, her work is such a, is so autobiographical um, because I think, you know, honestly, if you, your art tells you about yourself, it does. It's like, if you can't hide, it's like, there, there's no, I'm not surprised by the fact that I, did not grow up without, I grew up without a father and therefore there are very few fathers in my scripts. Mm-hmm. And so I think that is, you know, you, your art is a mirror. So I need everything to be copy. It's like, whether, no matter what it is, like I have to sort of do a version of it because it's also a way for me to work through that thing. Um, I think of, my, you know, like, like singers and all that kind of stuff, like they, they write songs about what they go through. I think as a television writer, I'm no different. And, um, but again, it's like me wanting to kind of show my ugly and my messy and my stuff so that somebody else can see their ugly and their messy and their stuff in it and realize that even though we're different people, we're really just extensions of each other. So I think that's why everything should be copied because whenever you try to hold this thing back or don't want to say that, what's going to happen is you're going to look sort of a version of perfect and that person who was imperfect will think something's wrong with them because... Mm-hmm. 
You see what I'm saying? So I yeah. think we always have to sort of say like, yes, this is me on my worst day and still being beautiful even in that. that I hope sense. everyone's tweeting that because I can't, so. <laughs> but don't you identify with that with your show? Like, because it wasn't yeah. until you started to talk about like your husband passing away, yeah. then other women started coming to you being like, Same. Yeah, I'd, There's something who's, beautiful who's being born this, out but of that. Yeah, I, yeah. I started getting, um, my husband died, uh, sorry to bum you out, in 2014, mm -hmm. and I would get messages from women who would say, and meant people going through hard things, who would say, I wish that I mm -hmm. uh, could be more like you. And mm -hmm. what they didn't see, because it didn't fit on Instagram, was that I was also totally having a complete mental breakdown. I was sure. raising yeah. a child on my own Jeez. and, you know, trying to, um, you know, uh, keep our house and mm. just do like the basics of life while also living with like this complete hole punched into the middle of my world. Sure. And um, so what you just said resonates with me hugely because I was unwittingly uh, perpetrating this um, lie mm. that to get through things, we have to smile through it or mm. we have to do it perfectly. And like, mm. why should you be perfect when things are difficult? Like yeah. perfection is obviously not real, but uh, I wanted to be like the best at grief. Wow. Like I wanted to be, I wanted to be like the best widow you'd ever seen, you know? Like, like, <laughs> you like, I'm flying, so yeah. I got this bag. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. And part like of with that, like a net over your eyes and like, yeah. black I know, hat, like right? looking beautiful. Right, yeah. 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 A I was black like, veil. Yeah, like, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, I the did. The Beyonce of grief. Yeah, I looked good <laughs> at that funeral. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that um, that is why I started the podcast. I wanted other people to have a way to um, be seen through their hard thing, and I wanted to yeah. make it easier for people to have something to point to, to say, okay, um, I'm going through this thing like this person on this episode, mm. and I think that your... Uh, uh, Thanksgiving episode for Master of None probably did that for <laughs> for so many people. Mm -hmm. So will you talk to us about creating that episode? Well, also, did you bring your Emmy? Because you did bring a backpack. <laughs> I just want back. Aziz is in the bag. I know Aziz is in the bag. The Emmy's in the bag. The the tux is in the bag. Um, uh, no, I mean, so I really you know connect to what you're saying and that you know. I was not the best at coming out. You know what I'm saying? I definitely stumbled over myself and did not do it well. And, you know, my mother, who was sort of the single parent version of Claire Huxtable, was not the easiest person to come out to. Um, you know, and so, but I think the thing about it is I, in writing it, um, I learned so much about that process. And, and the reason I was able to write it, because people was like, oh, was it difficult for you? Da, da, da. It wasn't because I had survived it. You know, I lived to tell. So I think, you know, it's sort of, I was the lion of my own story. And I think I sort of was able to, but even in writing it, I was like, I don't want to make my character the hero. And my mother isn't the villain. We're sort of two broken people coming together, forced to d deal with a thing that's always been there under the surface, but we just sort of been the black wasps that we were and tried to ignore it and, and, and sort of put it under the table. But I think, um, you know, for me, I, I really enjoyed writing it because that's how I was able to find humor in it because I was so far away from it. I had sort of come out like 10 years ago. Um, At and the I, time you know, when you were living it, was there fun little parts and jokes and... I mean, not at the time, you know what I'm saying? It was not funny at all. It was, you know, 
it was very black and, you know, mm. just confused. And uh, it was all the things you see, though. It's like literally, it's, it's a, it's a, and I always put it in this terms, like, look, my mom was born in 1953. She was born to a segregated America. Mm. So for her, she grew up, and my, my grandmother, you know, told me a story once of how she was driving, you know, cross country and she had to stop. She was pregnant, stopped to use the bathroom, and they didn't let her because they didn't have bathrooms for colored people. Jeez. Those are the kind of things, you know what I'm saying, I hear growing up. So they grew up and they, they existed in a time in which I can never comprehend. So me being gay was not just this weird thing. It was sort of, oh, what does that mean to society? Oh, how are white people going to receive you? That's really how I kind of started to sort of make sense of it. So I was like, oh, my mom was not just like pissed at me for being gay. She's like, I want you to be a contributing member of society that doesn't make anyone uncomfortable. Um, and my blackness already did, my womanness already does, and the gayness would do that even more so. So I think what it was, it was a matter of me being born into the 80s and growing up in the 90s. I had, again, talking about that fearless thing, I didn't care how I made people feel when I walked into a room, and that made my mother uncomfortable. And so it was about her find, finding comfort in my, my lack of concern for people who don't understand who I am and, and the way I, I walk around being comfortable in my own skin. Mm -hmm. So it really is sort of, I think, just a layered thing that I discovered in writing the episode because we do have the, those conversations around the table, them talking about OJ to Sandra Bland and all those things because that's how I learned about race. That's how I learned to view myself. Um, and I think ultimately, you know, that episode really kind of helped me see of like, oh, that is a generational thing and about her wanting me to just sort of be blend into society. But she birthed a daughter who stood out um, and like, you know, for me, you know, when I was on that stage, it's like, I'm very aware that me being black, me being a woman and me being gay is the reason why, you know, uh, you know, I was on, I was on that stage, you know, it's the reason why I got these J's on my feet, what pays my bills, you know what I'm saying? It's like people, thanks boo. You know, it's like, it, it's the thing that like, I think people, and I don't, I don't look at it as like a gimmick or whatever. This is who I am. This is how I walk through the world. But these things that make me different is what makes people lean in, um, versus push away. And I think for my mother, she thought people would push away and I think that's something I could sympathize with because you don't you only want what's best for your kid but I think for her it must have been even crazier to be sitting at home in Chicago watching her daughter mm -hmm. accept an award and be embraced mm -hmm. by an industry that is predominantly white predominantly straight um say to me like on this night you were the best that you could be mm -hmm. um and I you know and I received that Maeve. <laughs> well, when I won my Emmy. <laughs> um, so Maeve, you come from stand-up comedy, stand-up yeah. comedy background. How did you end up making an immigration podcast? Because I don't well, think most people are like, you know, it's hilarious. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, like, so comedians, like, you know, tons of us have podcasts and people, I would say, maybe too many. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like, Shame. and it's like, I know, why doesn't this guy interview this other guy? And I never wanted yeah. to do like one of those shows. Um, and what I'm really drawn towards is immigration. I am an immigrant myself. Like I moved here three and a half years ago and um, from obviously Sweden. <laughs> and then I was like, but my experience of moving here was so wildly different to, than like the majority of people in this world cannot move to America if they mm -hmm. want to. And um, many people do, it's like a fortress. And right. I would talk about that to my American friends and lots of people were like, oh, is it? Is it hard? Like. <laughs> 
I didn't, oh, right, okay, I guess you need a visa. I'm like, you can't get a visa. And anyway, so <laughs> I just followed my curiosity, really. And also, um, a lot of the people that I met that were immigrants had the best stories because they've literally left one life behind, moved, come somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, also, there's a, there's a lot of struggle involved. Like, I don't want to box immigration into any one thing. It's obviously a huge group of people with all different types of stories. But generally, like, it's a, it's a journey and there's a struggle there. And so I was fascinated by the stories. And then I just happened to start making it at a time when, well, immigration has always been politicized, it's always been racialized in America. But I happened to make it at a time when, um, I don't remember his name, but, like, the guy. Yeah. Um, uh, when Donald Trump opened his campaign by saying Mexicans were rapists and by saying he was going to create a Muslim registry, and we have a lot of Mexican and Muslim immigrants in the country, so it got political really quickly. And I think that a lot of what uh, we do making podcasts, the personal, is political, whether we like it or not. Mm-hmm. And like, I think that's with every format now, probably, in every medium. Um, so I just... I thought that was a really engaging part of the show too. So like what I do is I interview different immigrants. So it's that it's people in their own voice telling their own story. And I think that's, you know, innately political actually today. Hmm. Um, will you tell us about the Syrian episode? I think that one. Oh, was- sure. Yeah, yeah. Because I think, you know, talking about like using humor to tell a story that's serious. I feel like if you say today, I don't know if we have any Syrians here or Syrian Americans, but, um, uh, a friend of mine is Syrian, he lives in Sweden, and he said that like, he, he started to chat to a girl at a gym, you know, like to, I guess, like chat her up or whatever. Yeah, and, with her. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you love when that happens? In gym? <laughs> um, I was about to say, step one, no. <laughs> I know, I know, but he was like getting a good signal from her. And then he was like, um, you know, he was asking her about her tattoos, and then she was like, oh wait, like where's your accent from? And he was like, Syria. <laughs> And she immediately started crying, showing him a YouTube video of like an atrocity in Syria. So this is like his lived experience, right? Like he's just like a guy chatting to a girl, like trying to live his life in Sweden. He's been through a lot, incidentally, but that wasn't. So anyway, I was like, that's fascinating. So my Syrian guest, um, his name is Mohammed, but there was like 500 Mohammeds in his company, so he goes by Zaza. And he's just like, he reminded me of my uncle. He, he like is trying to quit smoking, but he doesn't want to put on weight. Like he has a two-year-old who he's obsessed with and like is always trying to find an opportunity to like show you a picture of his two-year-old. And like that's, that's a Syrian person. Uh-huh. That's him. Like that's Zaza. That's his life. And he's a person. It, yeah, he's a person. Like it sounds so stupid that you even have to say it. But like honestly, just last week, like the U.S. Um, announced it's it's gonna lower the number of refugees. So like we're taking less refugees than ever before. So it's like I think important to say like this is who you're blocking. Okay, this is Zaza. He has a baby and he's trying to quit smoking and like he's got a great sense of humor and like he's, you know, just a person. Mm-hmm. I think also because when the world seems too big and too sad, people want to put blinders on too. Mm-hmm. And the minute you say, oh, it's a story about Syria, people are like, that's going to be sad. Maybe I just will like mm-hmm. tune this one out. And what stands out about that one is it's like, humorous almost immediately so it's really like unexpected right like he he works he's a luggage salesman but like he can't travel like you know there's like so many ironies (laughs) (laughs) and and I think in any story it's not fair to say like 
you have a sad story. Like, mm-hmm. you have a happy story. Like, it's really limiting mm-hmm. what we can... Yeah, and mm-hmm. you aren't a sad story even if your story is sad. Right. Right. You, you aren't. You are, right. You are more right. than that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, real. And I think, too, um, and anybody here who has been through uh, something horrible knows this, and if you haven't been through something horrible... Wait for it. Yeah. <laughs> She's planned Wait something for, for it. after yeah. the show. <laughs> <laughs> You'll want to see what happens She's next. Like, stay tuned. Um, <laughs> so you your, two can be a guest. Your wallets are gone. On her show. Nora's had her <laughs> little toddler. <laughs> yeah, very good. Um, but you, you know what it's like to be pitied, and oh. nobody wants to be pitied and nobody wants to be a sad story. So how do you write about or create uh, things that are about hard topics or sad topics without getting into that trap? Because I feel like I can, I can tell when, it's almost like you know, that local news thing where it's like, let's pan over like, uh-huh. the child alone, bring the up the piano starts. music, his right. dad is dead. Um, I don't want to, like, I never want to make something like that and mm-hmm. I don't ever want to um, feel like I'm, I'm, I'm listening to like tragedy porn basically mm-hmm. or watching yeah. that either right. so I don't know how do you balance that like with the, the hardship and like the humorous in a way that isn't like I'm trying to make this issue like extremely funny I'm trying right. to punch this up I mean yeah I think you know I, I always try to go is if you can be extremely honest like mm-hmm. then you, it sort of naturally happens you know and, I, and speaking from a television perspective and I'm a student of television like I've always watched really old TV new TV I've watched everything but I'm a huge fan of the Mary Tyler Moore show and I think what they did which I thought was so phenomenal was, was a wonderful episode um, about Chuckles the Clown where they go to the, the funeral and people are telling stories and they're trying not to laugh and <laughs> all these things it's such a, it's a phenomenal episode of television um, and because uh, it's about a clown that dies and it's all these things, it's like it's, it's brilliant. Um, and I looked at it, you know, even then I remember watching it in college and thinking, I hope I can make something as classic as this. But the cool thing about it is like that's the thing. It's like they're saying that it's it's so beautifully done, but they're saying there's humor even at a funeral. And I think because the truth is, if you go to a funeral, you can't help but share the the funny moments, the light moments, the silly moments, and all those things. And you almost feel guilty for laughing. But the truth is, is like, but, don't, but then you're negating what that moment was, which was yeah. a moment of joy, you yeah. know, even in the midst of sorrow. So I think for me, what we tried to do, because again, Aziz and I are very, we, like, we hate that thing of like, oh, the, here comes the full house music. But I think, <laughs> you know, for us, we were like, what's always the honest thing, you know? And, and yeah. funny enough, like when we did the, diner, the coming out scene in the diner, we ended it, you know, because I told Aziz, like, oh yeah, my, my mom ended it with like, don't tell your grandmother, like why? Because she's forgetful, you gotta tell her like 18 times. Aziz, like, he, he chuckled at it, he's like, that's hilarious, I was like, that really happened, I honored her, her, her wish, and we, we realized we wanted to end the scene with that, because it's obviously a very happy scene, Angela Bassett goes in, because she's a fucking legend. But the thing is, <laughs> is like, we, we, you know, we had her say that, and, and, and it's just such, the, it's such a beautiful button, you know, to this, but also the reason why I love it so much, because that's what my mother said. She's like, don't tell your grandmother, because yeah. she forgets everything. And I was like, oh, that makes a good point. <laughs> and I don't want to come out multiple times. I'll go ahead up doing that. So. It's beautiful and it was practical. Yes, yeah. very practical. <laughs> don't tell your grandma. She can't handle this shit. <laughs> you should, I, it's funny, isn't it? Like that we, using your real family, like, how is it? 
How is that? It's fun because yeah. they're all such interesting characters. Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, I think my mother being extremely interesting, my grandma. I mean, they're just like these, you know, I, well, there's, I, I'm obsessed with black women. I mean, come yeah. on. There's like, you know, they're such dynamic beings. You know, I like to, to think that, uh, you know, God spends a little extra time on them. You know what I mean? And so, yes, God, come on. <laughs> you know, and, I, and, and look, I'm, I was birthed by one, so I'm biased, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was I, even, you know, being a little, you know, girl, I always say I was a, a black woman in training, you know, as a little girl watching them and listening to them. I, uh, I always found them to be funny, even as a kid, because my grandmother, you know, I, I was that cliche kid, you know, live in my grandma's house with my mom. We was kind of struggling. But, um, you know. I, my grandmother and also the different generations because like my grandmother had my aunt who lived across the street and then my mom and I had an older sister as well all under one roof it was just like all that kind of stuff but to see the different generations the way my grandmother would have like block club meetings I don't know if anybody knows about that but, like, but she would like they, her, basically these elderly black women would come and they play cards and sort of like their version of neighborhood watch and then what they would <laughs> talk about and how they would gossip and how they would talk about the young people not doing what they need to be doing and then my mom and how her girlfriends were talking about dating and having to keep a man and my aunt talking about those different things and my sister and all that kind of stuff. So I would just kind of listen to them about things that were important to them and all that kind of stuff. And so when it came time to write the episode, it was just like a hodgepodge of just like amazing things I remember them saying and doing and how they related to each other. Um, that's why I was so happy that when people really responded to the episode because it, it was just about my coming out, but it was really a celebration of, of black women. I wanted to honor yeah. them a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um. <laughs> um. When you're creating something that personal, especially when it's, um, I mean, it's about you, it's about mm -hmm. your family. Right. Um, how do you take, uh, like, potential criticism, like, in the creation process or after? Yeah, I mean, I was lucky. I mean, Aziz, I had told him the story, and, and Alan Yang as well, co-creator, they were like, yep, you got to tell that story. You got to help write it. You got to do it, like, run with it. And also, we're very blessed with Netflix. You know, they don't, they don't meddle. They really don't. Because if I had gotten a note, it would not have been, like, cute, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Because I would have been like, what? And also, yeah. and Aziz would even joke, you know, we knew we wanted, you know, shout out to Melina Masukas. We knew we wanted very early oh my for her to yeah. direct it. Yeah. She's phenomenal. Yeah. We'll be working on her again real soon. Y'all stay Tune. But, um, <laughs> but you know, and before we shot the, because the, everything was leading up to that damn diner scene, there was all this like hubbub surrounding it. But before we shot it, Aziz made the joke. He came in, he said, okay, Lena, Angela, let me tell y'all how to do this scene. Let me, let me, uh, <laughs> give you guys notes he was and we appreciated the joke because I think we had had free reign on, on the set like he even left at one point he had to go to editing and Allie had to go to a location scout so it was me Melina and Angela and the kids at one day just like sort of like going in and like going back and forth and like playing with them and, and it was like we had free reign and I think that's why it did so well and I think to me it's a thing that I try to move forward not like like I'm a boss y'all do what I say it's always yeah. gonna be collaboration but for me it's like I, I'm an artist. I'm clocking in my 10,000 hours. Trust my voice. I know, give me the ball. I'm going to make the shot, the buzzer. Like, yeah. we, we got it. And I think it's a lesson, like, sorry. Um, How for, do you bottle up what you have and give it to everyone in the audience? <laughs> like, that, that, like, inner feeling. They got I'm it. trying to, like, absorb it. Y'all got through. it. I can feel it. Yeah. <laughs> Osmosis. I don't know. <laughs> Seventh grade science. <laughs> but, like, it makes me think that, like, you know, Aziz did that like he you know maybe like stepped aside mm -hmm. and trusted you yeah. but also like he got such a better show because of that like mm -hmm. it's not like he did you a favor like he like made a really smart <laughs> business decision too yeah. like, do you know what I mean very like, true it was so good very true and um I I was just 
think as someone who didn't grow up in America and didn't grow up around black women in America, like it's so beautiful and valuable for me to get this glimpse of like, oh, that's what a Thanksgiving dinner was like. Right. And that's what this, though, that's what her aunts are like. And that's what her mm-hmm. grandmother's like. It's really, it's really beautiful. And as someone who, uh, you know, wants to kind of get across what immigrants, like the, the similarities that we have, like wherever we're from in the world. Like, mm-hmm. I think that's a really lovely template for me to see like, oh, maybe in a few years, like we can see the same thing with a Syrian oh, yeah. family and their traditions and it won't seem like other or anything. Right. It's just like what it is, right. you know? Absolutely. So yeah, thank you for that though. Oh, that's no you. small thing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, thank yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny you say that it made me think of a silly story. I don't think because he's not mind if I said this, but like after we won, like uh, I think it was the next day, he's so sweet. He was checking in. He's like, how you doing? What's going on? Like, I'm good. I'm chilling. I'm floating. I'm, I'm shining. And so, but he, um, <laughs> he, 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 um, he said, because we're, because here's the thing, and this is like super random. Some of y'all may not get it. He and I are obsessed with a mini series that came on ABC called Jackson 5, The American Dream. Did anybody remember that? <laughs> So yes, the front row is here for it. They gotta rush me out of here to go to something, but I'm gonna hug all y'all before I get out of here. But the thing is, is like um, he. So we always text back and forth quotes from that miniseries, like constantly. <laughs> Gifts, all of it. That's why he and I were both fangirling out of Angela. And that's also why we named her Catherine in the show. But anyway, as Michael Jackson's mom was Catherine Jackson, for some of y'all who are struggling. So he, so after we won, like, he was like, Jackson know, he, sitting there. He was like, he was like, he was like, y'all know a lot of people coming at you. He's like, but I want you to remember something. That's my blood running through your veins, not Barry Gordy's. And I was like, this is the best text that I've ever gotten. I'll never forget it, Aziz. You are the man. Thank you, Daddy. <laughs> That's just random. It's made me think of that. Because I'm like, yes, it's a good position, but he's just like, it's my blood of the event. So, and I just wish the world could like, no, it's like, this is like, what's happening? Aziz is quoting the Jackson 5 American Dream to me right now in my phone like the day after I won. Anyway, sorry, we digress. We digress. <laughs> No, that was a beautiful moment. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's ridiculous. Um, I will now appreciate that miniseries Come more. Come on. No, right. please revisit it. Revisit yes. it. It's, yeah. it's, I can't, it's like, it's phenomenal. Like, it's on VH1 every Thanksgiving. Or <laughs> it's like, if you haven't seen it, please research it. I think you yeah. can buy it on Amazon. It's amazing. It's our generation's roots. I'm serious. Yeah. It's phenomenal. <laughs> The Jackson 5, that's the title. The Jackson 5, an American dream. It's phenomenal, man. It's solid. Um, I mean, what else should we be watching? I mean, I can give you some suggestions. Yeah. Will, that will be a follow-up. I know, follow-up, because it'll be all day. Yeah, this will be a follow-up. All day, all day. All day. Yeah. Moe Walker, if you haven't seen it. No. Also, Michael Jackson, a weird movie he made. It's fine. I don't know. You have to find it on YouTube. But YouTube, Moe Walker, it's kind of brilliant. Yeah. Oh, um, maybe do you have any interesting Aziz um, anecdotes to share with the group? <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. I have a few, but um, I was yeah, he was texting first. you. Yeah, he's yeah. been texting me so much. I'm like, stop. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to work. I'm doing so many things. Um, but okay, so maybe your podcast deals with people's like really personal journeys, like really personal stories. Yeah, and you do that with humor and with care. But how? Uh, 
like how do you take care of yourself too when like handling I, I don't know to, to me also I'm handling other people's stories in my mm, podcast yeah. and sometimes it like the weight of that feels like a lot because I want to do the best job I can for them and for the people who are listening to it and um, you know so my children aren't, aren't embarrassed of me um, <laughs> in the future um, for that I mean for other things, sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, for like my outfit, always. Um, and because like I pull up the car and I'm like, in here, in the Odyssey, right here. Uh. Beep, beep. Um, but From yeah, how do you, how, yeah, at soccer. Um, I'm proud of that. <laughs> I'm proud of that lifestyle. Um, but how do you balance uh, that, like that, the, the weight of um, making sure you're doing a good job with somebody else's story? Yeah, so um, there's a few things. One is that like, I have to try and figure out like, priorities. Like, for example, you guys know about DACA. That was rescinded. Mm-hmm. And now mm-hmm. when today actually is the last day for applying for it. Mm-hmm. And so like in March, people's DACA will start to fizzle out and then they'll be, you know, they won't have a work permit. And so that's like, I think, in a really important story to tell right now. And so is TPS. And then so is the refugee story. So I think it's a case of talking to my producer and figuring out like, you know, where be targeted. Like sometimes it can feel very overwhelming if you're talking about big issues. Like, you know, Mm-hmm. like so you have to just be targeted and take your time and like remember your original mission which is like to use humor to talk about something serious and then the other thing is um i definitely understand like that uh people need to take time for self-care but sometimes i'm like i'm okay yeah. like i'm in a very privileged position mm-hmm. i'm like a like a white immigrant i have my visa i have like this platform so like I'm like I'm good to go (laughs) like Mm -hmm. and so I think that's important to remember and to use that like um to to highlight other people's stories and to really push them like when they need to be um when they need to be to be pushed you know do you like ever have a sense of like almost survivor's guilt for that because I mean I feel the same way when people are like oh I'm so sorry your husband's dead I'm like that yes that is for sure objectively sad, but like I know a lot of people whose like husbands died and like their entire life fell apart. Oh, like I was huh. okay because I had a family to catch me, right. and I had you know internet friends who who like truly yeah. helped take care of me, and some real life ones too. Oh. Um, <laughs> but really, like the internet made me like a safety net to catch me. You know, my husband was like thirty. He didn't have li- get life insurance. Okay, even if you're single, just oh. FYI, mm. it's like yeah. a gift for um, everyone else when you die. Um, okay. <laughs> I'm so uplifting. No, this it's is real, people. real shit. I had to get some. Yeah, yeah. yeah. very. Yeah, I'm very socially comfortable. Always. You should be. That's as brilliant. you can tell. Um, <laughs> like you said, like you're okay, but not yeah. everybody you talk to is going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah, and I think just that to bring you down again. No, no, like, <laughs> yeah. white privilege is back. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And I think you know, use it for good. Guilt is one thing. I don't think guilt is like helpful, but you could think of it as, I personally, I think of it as like, um, you know, I'm not doing, again, like I'm not doing, like I'm not being some kind of savior by being like, here, I'm going to tell your story. Like I get amazing shows and I get amazing connections and friends from the work that I do. Mm-hmm. And they're, I'm lucky to, to do it. So, um, and then the other thing, what was the other, what did you say again? I have no idea. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I have no idea. I'm Dory. <laughs> Showed up. No, no. Um, Although Dory is lit. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I like that joke. Um, but yeah, I think that's very much. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. 
Um, like, again, silence. always a professional. <laughs> <laughs> I like to have a dip in the middle so you can yeah. all think Jack, your own thoughts. Jackson Five, yeah. American well, Dream. Honestly, like, dip. what? Amazon. What you don't know is we have a countdown clock. I know, yeah. Right in front of us. We have for that 43 this, we have 43 this, this seconds is me the I mean I want you to say something crazy. smart and brilliant smart and inspiring and br- <laughs> you have 36 oh, seconds 35 um <laughs> like you know, again you have to watch, like, okay. look, you have yeah. to watch the Jackson 5 yeah. okay it's true <laughs> uh watch the Jackson 5 American Dream <laughs> it tells you know what actually I'm gonna use that real quick like this was a really poor family living in freaking mm-hmm. Gary Indiana Two black a black man and a black woman met each other, had a gang of kids, mm-hmm. and they reached down deep in their soul and understood that from where their, where their ancestry came, they knew if, they, if the ancestor could survive the Middle Passage, they could have a boy band that would take over the world. And it did. And the front little one ended up changing all of our lives. He changed mine. I remember being a kid and asking my mother if Michael Jackson was magic. And she looked at me and she said... She said, yes, he is. <laughs> so just remember that he isn't made of the same stuff that you are made of. Yeah. So if he's magic, so are y'all. Yeah. All right, thank you. Nina, you all need to know that she finished as it hit zero. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> <Just> like, <laughs> <laughs> I think that she is exactly. magic. Yeah, I think she that is was, magic. I, I have a chill <laughs> and a tear. I think because I am, a, I'm not your mom, as you know, but um, <laughs> but I, yeah, I'm, yeah, I have that feeling. I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> that's that really so that black is, excellence. That is black excellence. Front row was MVP. Yes. Front row MVP. So I'll see myself out. And no, I'm gonna, um, no, no, we're going to get out of here. This uh, has been You're dope. all welcome to stay. Look at her. Um, <laughs> Follow so me, we Lena Waithe, Instagram, we're Twitter, the end. At This me. is the end of your night, and you're, you're both free to go. Um, no one else in this room is, as told. <laughs> I know I got my, I got I don't my know, Ken backpack. Has questions? Yes. Back on you have back? to go at five. She has a backpack know, on. Like it's, know, she's basically gone. Um, yeah, she has to leave right at five. I know. But are I'm are going, people I'm allowed come. to touch you? Yes. Okay. What, how, what is this? There's a barrier. Just dive. Don't fall in. That was Lena Waithe, Maeve Higgins, and Nora McInerney speaking at the 2017 Work It Festival. Both the festival and the podcast are produced by WNYC Studios and are made possible by a grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with additional support from the Annenberg Foundation. Event sponsors include Cole Hahn, Mac Cosmetics, and thirdlove.com. Uh-huh.